Hello and welcome to the Recovering God podcast. This is a platform to explore issues that affect the faith lives of Christian women. We hope you find this podcast helpful. Welcome Recovering God podcast listeners to our episode today where we're going to talk about what it's like to be a Christian woman and to be disabled. I'm joined by fellow host Vicky, who is non-disabled, and with our guest, Kirsty Cobb, is a lecturer in biblical studies at Cliff College, which trains lay ministers and is a co-investigator in the AHRC-funded project Abusing God, Reading Bible in the Me Too Age. The Abusing God Network provides a platform to connect academics, church and charity practitioners in order to develop new research into the intersection between scripture and the lived experience of Christian survivors. Kirsty's current research focuses on women in the Hebrew Bible with a special interest in biblical interpretation, including feminist, deconstructive and trauma studies. I mean, that sounds fascinating. Uh, we're going to talk about disability today, but we, we may have to bring you back to talk about that because that is something I think we'd really enjoy here. Just before we jump in, uh, I just want to touch on, on language. So I am also disabled. I have a few different things. So one, I have issues with my blood pressure, which means I get quite tired and I fainted somewhere around four to five hundred times in my life. It's it's quite it's up there. It does mean I now faint into the recovery position, which as party tricks go, very useful, very helpful. I also have some issues with the way my brain processes sound, so I don't always hear things very well. I also have slight kind of head injury stuff. Uh, For me, language-wise, I generally go for I'm a disabled person, I'm a disabled woman, but I do also slip into the language of having a disability. For those listeners who aren't aware of the difference, they kind of relate to slightly different models of disability, one of which sees disability as centering within yourself. It's something who you have, it's who you are. Others who see it more present in the world, it's the world that disables you, not you. Different people have different preferences. Generally speaking, a disabled person is the preferred term. Everyone has different kind of preference about languages and what you'll hear today is a mixture of both. So Kirsty, would you like to just give us a little bit of a quick intro and say hi? Hello, yes, my uh, studies in uh, trauma studies has actually uh, helped me to understand the disability that I have to be living with uh, in, a, in a great way. It's been a quite a good companion, even though the subject obviously isn't exactly great, but it has helped me to understand it. My particular form of disability is Crohn's disease. So this is an illness where there's something that goes wrong with your immunity. And in the case of Crohn's disease, your body attacks itself anywhere in your digestive tract. So this can lead to all sorts of issues, Any anything from basically getting the classic what we call flare-ups. So you get blisters and bleeding in your digestive tract. You, you don't have any energy. You sometimes can end up throwing up food or not being able to eat anything, which then, of course, has a massive effect on your day-to-day life. Now, I'm in a bit of a lucky situation at the moment because um, my illness at the moment is fairly stable. But one of the reasons for that is that I don't have any large intestine anymore in my body. So that was where a lot of my illness was. And then that was removed. And at that time, people thought that I had something called ulcerative colitis, which is only in the large intestine. So we get removed that problem solved. 
and a year or so later, it was like surprise, <laughs> it's back in the rest of your um, the rest of your digestive tract. So I kind of graduated the Crohn's disease from there, but luckily I'm at the moment fairly stable. Yeah, thank you. So the first question that we're asking um, all guests on the podcast is: Could you just tell us a little bit about how your understanding of God has evolved over time? Oh, oh. <laughs> how long have you got? <laughs> we could just we speak could, on that for yeah. the rest of this podcast. <laughs> I think my understanding of God has evolved quite radically over time, to be honest. Um, I was kind of, in my youth, I was involved in a Pentecostal church, and I still go to a Pentecostal church here in the UK. But kind of, I was brought up with the whole uh, kind of God loves you and everything is going to be okay. And yes, there is suffering. But I kind of, in my youthful thinking, thought that, well, that's something that happens to everyone else. You know, when you're like 16 or whatever, your biggest suffering, at least for me at the time, was like, oh, no, I got a B plus in my test instead of A minus. How terrible. But when I eventually decided to study theology, and started studying things like suffering and why is there illness and all the rest of it, even at that point, it was still quite okay because it's all theoretical. It's something that happens to other people. It was when it happened to me because when um, the Crohn's disease was diagnosed relatively late in my life, I was in my 30s, so all of a sudden I had to come in terms with what is it like to live with, at times, with constant pain while actually believing that there is God who supposedly loves me and supposedly has has good plans for me, and all I'm doing is shaking my fist to high heavens, going, well, if you are there, why aren't you doing anything? Because it's all fine to theorize. But so what I would say is that through all of this kind of experience, I think my understanding of God has evolved quite a bit. I would say that it has become, in a manner of speaking, larger it's uh, become one that can accommodate things like there being a loving God and I actually being in pain, not in theoretical pain, not in pain that happens to someone else but me right now. So it has to become larger. Could you tell us a bit about your experience of disability? My kind of experience with disability, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing because I kind of feel I have various dare I say, the extremes of disability in some way. And I'm obviously just talking about now in the world of Crohn's disease that I have kind of gone through times that when I was originally diagnosed and then thought I had ulcerative colitis, when I was originally diagnosed, my disease got very aggressive really quickly. It was basically a case of, oh, there is this medicine that has 70% chance of working. Well, guess twice if it works for me. The next one, only one in a hundred people gets this particular infection. Well, guess what? Who gets it? Me! <laughs> sort of thing. So it was one of those, it, it was so bad, it was almost funny for me that um, I went through a couple of years of just really rapidly getting just worse and worse. And some of my worst times with illness is in that period of time when there just didn't, didn't seem to be anything that worked for me for any length of time. So, I mean, I think my my brain has probably blocked a lot of this out, but I could probably ask my husband for (laughs) horror stories of basically uh, looking at me in the living room screaming off the top of my head because I am in so much pain and nothing is cutting it and nothing's doing anything about it. And uh, basically having to um, go to the hospital in an ambulance and being given heaven knows what drugs to try to control the pain. You are, t- you are going through all of that while you are trying to still stay 
in academia. I mean, as um, as Sarah said earlier, I'm a lecturer in biblical studies, so I was also employed to try to navigate what is it actually like be at work while you're suffering with all of this and then needing to cancel things at the last minute because, oh, by the way, Kirstie's not coming to teach her last week of lectures because she's in hospital <laughs> or something something like that. And of course, that's inconvenience to everyone else, but also it's inconvenience to me because I want to be at work. It's not like, oh, yay, I've got a information in my gut. Woohoo, I get to have two weeks off. <laughs> so um, it was really tough, especially then. After the operation, which was uh, about three years into my diagnosis, my quality of life did improve a lot. So the kinds of massive pain fits that take me to hospital, they are quite rare. And now it is more, <laughs> now I think I come across much more the other side of the disability sector because I don't look ill. I don't look ill in any way at all. And I am a classic extrovert. So when I'm teaching a class, I'm like bouncing off the walls because I'm so excited to be there. But next to no one then sees that when I go home, I am so tired. And come the evening, I can be so tired. I'm like halfway in tears because I'm just like, what is the point of leaving? I'm so tired. I'm so tired and constantly that. So I think sometimes people, when they are dealing with me, actually forget that I'm disabled, which has its blessings and its, and its curses. So hence I say, I think I've kind of got a bit of a spectrum when it comes to disability, the kind of I can't do anything and to kind of people forget that I'm disabled, which is interesting. Thank you for that. And um, Sarah, what about you? Well, I started getting uh, really like headed, really faint, tired, that sort of stuff. That all started when I was 13, 14. So there was a sort of sense of like, oh, young girls just faint. That's just a hormone thing or what have you. But it started happening like a couple of times a day. And I think what was interesting about something that's kind of slowly growing and getting worse bit by bit, but is kind of mostly in your head in that being dizzy and fainty isn't particularly easy for anyone to see, is there's a real kind of suspicion that goes on about it and art seen as someone who can be trusted with your own experience of disability, I think particularly as a young woman, most of my friends completely age completely dropped me because they saw it as a sign of getting attention or what have you, to the point where literally like they would step over my unconscious body in the street and carry on walking. And I think growing up in the church, uh, it was going through a real like believing in healings and all that sort of stuff. There was a real like I just didn't trust my body anymore and I didn't trust my own mind anymore. And there was so much of, is this in my head? And yet so much fear of like, it was getting worse. No one could tell me what was going on. House MD was really popular at the time. And that was a real thing for me. So I was like, I really want him to fix me. But I also had this thing of maybe I'm not going to survive this. So I think being a teenager with a disability sucks in a big way. Whereas as an adult with a disability, like because I've had so many years now to get used to it and because it has been my existence, my it's the only life I've known, my experience with disability now is so much more positive. I know who I am. I know what I can cope with. I know what I can do. Uh, I know my own triggers, all the rest of it. So I see it as a really positive thing in my life in many ways as well. So my experience with disability has changed. And, and again, like for Kirsty, your kind of understanding of who God is has to rupture. It can't be the same view of God. 
at the time, my peers yeah. believed that God was someone who would intervene in a very miraculous way if enough people prayed or prayed in a certain way. And so there was also this kind of suspicion of, well, she hasn't been healed yet, which was interesting to navigate. I'm glad that I never felt that from God myself. What I always felt like was God saying, I know this is hard. I know this isn't easy. I'm still here. I'm still here. You're not any further away from me. And that really mattered to me because for some people, when the body fails them, they can feel like very distant, kind of like Job and like God's tested you. And I was very lucky that my understanding of God, as influenced as it was by the culture around me, was God being like, I'm not punishing you. <laughs> this isn't this isn't someone can practice their healing ministry on you. I've got you and it's okay. That leads nicely on to our next question, which um, is what impact has that had on your faith? Kirsty, for you, I guess that was really interesting navigating it ah. with your job. And <laughs> Interesting is the polite way of putting it. But thank you for that politeness. Now, <laughs> for me, because I, uh, I got ill later in life, uh, the good thing with that was that because I had already done like my BA, my MA and, you know, my PhD in the theology, I had already been kind of exposed to the fact that, you know, actually, if you look at the Bible, God doesn't actually heal everyone and that there are different ways of looking at it. And I think because people knew that, some of my friends just didn't talk to me about healing because that was like, she's going to be able to throw a Bible at me if, uh, if I suggest something like that, <laughs> that to her. The difficulty with me was not so much with the grand concept that I would be ill. That was something that I think my theology already then did kind of allow. What I was not prepared for was the pain and the fatigue that would go with it. So it might actually sound a bit <laughs> weird, but for me, the biggest things would be things like why am I hurting right now? Why hasn't God invented a blasted medicine <laughs> that could just get rid of the pain? Okay, forget the Crohn's disease, <laughs> just something that helps me right now. <sighs> so I think for me, navigating my understanding of God was more tied, not so much the big question, why am I ill? Rather, why does it have to be so difficult? I'm quite happy to be disabled as long as it's easy disabled. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but why does this entire journey have to be so hard? And I think in that when I um, when I stumbled into doing trauma theology, and what happened to me is that I started to study much more about how our body responds to pain, how there are so many things that haven't been sorted out yet, and how actually god compassion and god being with you can exist with a lot of pain and one of the things for me that has helped here is um doing a little bit of studying around jesus crucifixion because in a sense if god wanted jesus let's go uh, with the view that says okay jesus carried out sins and he was an atoning sacrifice if you go with that theology, then in a marrow speaking, why couldn't God have Jesus turn up at the time when there were guns and just have him shot quickly and case closed? But that wasn't the case. In a manner of speaking, and I'm probably going to be bored on heretic here, but Jesus actually went through a lot of what we might consider to be unnecessary suffering. And to some extent, to me, that's actually been a comfort. There is just suffering that we are not going to know the answer. And there is suffering that Jesus himself went through 
that we don't necessarily have any kind of A to B to C sort of reasoning. So that's kind of helped me, the concept of God with us and God in in the suffering and helping me to understand others who are also going through suffering because suffering isn't going to go away on this side of eternity. So I think that's really helped. I wonder if there's something around, because you know when a word gets mm-hmm. overused, it kind of loses its meaning. I wonder if the word suffering is having that effect because yes. to me then I started to think about pain theology mm. and then I was like, oh, that ha- is, is having a bigger impact on me than the word suffering. Like when I think about pain, does that make sense? Uh, maybe in our kind of use of language, maybe there are words we would need to revive or find different ways of talking about this thing because for me, suffering feels like the right word because that's my experience but at the same time it might not have the same connotation to other people so maybe something like pain might be better though not all suffering is pain well we also like sanitize the cross right we go over it every year and the you know the stripping the beating the torturing the death you know we do it so much but our crosses are so often clean and tidy and we sanitize it, you know, even the paintings and the portraits and the pictures we use, you know, mm. we sanitize it to make it easier. And we, we therefore miss the suffering. And one, actually, if I might, might do a little marketing here, not for me, but uh, David Toombs has written beautifully yes. about the whole uh, experience of, of the cross. And do you find his work on that quite helpful in understanding of how Jesus' suffering touches on multiple levels of suffering. And David Toombs' book is free for access, which is incredible. So have a little Google if you want to read that book. Excellent. And Sarah, what impact has your faith undergone? For me, the idea that God dishes out get-out-of-jail-free cards had to dissolve, right? But that was so much of what I'd been told or taught or understood God to be. God will get you a car parking spot if you pray, but also (laughs) God will fix, you know, these kind of things. Almost this kind of prosperity understanding that being a Christian is an anointed way to live, almost believing that we don't have to experience anything of bad of this life that we don't want to. And that just ruptures. It falls apart. It disrupts. Um, that understanding by having a body that is disabled and a body that doesn't do what you want and a body that hurts and aches. And oh, I forgot to say as well, I also have a fractured back. I feel you always forget that one. Um, <laughs> but I have um, vertebrae issues, which means my back, uh, lower part of my back often uh, fractures. So I always forget one, you know, so there it is. So living with all this sort of stuff, it kind of, it made me reconsider who God had to be. And it, showed me or at least I understood it as saying you know we don't get to skip out on any part of life but we don't have to go Mm -hmm. through any part of it alone that we get to walk with God who understands what we're going through and comprehends it and who somehow sometimes even turns things to our good even when it's dreadful that doesn't make it the dreadful bit any less dreadful but somehow can turn can bring some sort of goodness out of some of the most and so and just to be with a god who's just yeah. constantly like i'm here i'm here i'm here and in some ways that meant i was often a thorn in the side mm. of some people's theology so i mean one of my favorite stories with this is a christian festival mm. that will remain nameless 
did a very prominent kind of healing ministry night as part of their camps. And at the time, I was using a wheelchair because I couldn't stand up without fainting. And I did have someone grab the back of my chair and just wheel me because some people wanted to, and I quote, have a go. So they did. They sat there and prayed. Uh, And listeners, I will confess, I did stand up to get away from the situation. But if you were out there and you believed you healed someone from a wheelchair, I'm really sorry. It may have been me. And I may have just stood up to get you to stop. Um, (laughs) I have no regrets about it either. (laughs) Welcome to Deconstruction with Recovering God podcast, where we deconstruct your whole faith. (laughs) I'm so sorry if that was your pivotal experience. But yeah, I think what was interesting is Mm. it it made me develop my own faith because Mm. there was a God who believed in me a God who knew what I was going through, who didn't question it, who didn't try to blame it, who didn't try to make it someone else's healing story or someone else's sin story or whatever, but who was just with me and it made me rely on God. That's who I had to keep coming back to because that was who was in my corner. So like you're, so in a way you're closer to God through that experience and you experience it in a different way than before, maybe? I think in a deeper way, absolutely. And I think in a more genuine way, that being said, um, I would hope that most of us experience God in a slightly deeper, genuine way from age 13 to age 30. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would hope that was something that would happen. Um, But it definitely brought that point closer because something isn't adding up when you have a disabled body, Um, whether that is a prosperity theology, whether that's understanding worth Mm -hmm. based on productivity, whether that is whatever that is, your body tells you it ain't working, it ain't making sense a lot sooner than it might have otherwise so I think I came to that point of having it as because yeah. bigger but also deeper understanding of who God is sooner than I would have otherwise I think I would have stayed in that happy bubble for a lot longer mm. and had a, a slightly different deconstruction mm. journey yeah, I do have to say from my point of view but I was listening to your journey Sarah for, for me my kind of to a phase I, I didn't I, I did pretty much think that, mm-hmm. oh, there can't be a God thing. Now, looking back at things, I'm not sure how much of it I would change because, like Sarah, you were saying that gave you kind of a deeper, bigger understanding of God, that somehow the fact that the issue of suffering and who God is, mm-hmm. is a very real question with real <laughs> implications and real implications to our theology, to whether we even believe in God or not. And that is something that, I don't know, maybe my next big project is to start to put that question again, kind of, if there is God, why there is suffering? And I I haven't yet found a kind of satisfactory answer to that. But the idea of, Sarah, what you were saying, God with us, that's a a great comfort. So one of the things I Mm. thought it would be helpful to talk about is how disability affects us specifically as women. Mm. I'm in academia, so I have noticed that there kind of being a woman makes you already have to work quite a bit harder to stay where you are or to get anywhere. Now you're disabled and a woman, oh, instead of us being nice to you, (laughs) the expectations feel like they are even more so. And you can kind of 
become scared to be honest especially if you want time off or oh, you yeah. say I can't mm-hmm. do this because my energy levels aren't working this week oh yeah there's there's just that kind of oh well you know yeah what else yeah. do you expect you know she's disabled yeah. let's pass on yeah. to someone else and that is something that I have actually been talking um with some of my friends with uh, I mean I'm quite happy at, at Cliff College of uh, how things are working around my disability. But if there was ever a time that I would look for, to work somewhere else, I'm kind of wondering how would people even react to that? That, you know, first of all, I can't do full-time hours. Second, I'm a woman. <laughs> and all of those yeah. things already put me at a disadvantage. So there is a certain fear that is created by that combination that am I actually going to be enough i mean our society is already filled with the kind of are you doing enough are you doing enough are you doing enough for everyone let alone then for a person who's a woman and disabled there is a certain fear element there with me kind of constant and i think within a christian yes. circles we have this kind of protestant work ethic that means you often you know you're expected to do a full-time job or near to it you know mm-hmm. you're expected to do x amount of hours volunteering at your church and then you're also perhaps expected to be a mother and to do yeah. these things. And it's like, well, okay, I have an energy mm. you know, issues. Guess what? I can't. Yeah. And then sometimes you're seen as of less value. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's capitalism. It's not theology. That's capitalism. But when it comes to how I understand my disability, particularly the fainting and being a woman, you know, people perceive me as being non-disabled when they first meet me. And then suddenly I'm fully disabled I'm on the floor and I'm unconscious Mm. and one of the things I found that when I was a teenager is this had a really weird reaction in boys um never in girls but in boys Mm. where they wanted to be my prince charming (laughs) they wanted to rescue me because oh no it's a damsel in distress she's fainted (laughs) oh my goodness and I I had people who were expressing interest in me and I knew they didn't really care about me but they could rescue me and and that was a whole thing and navigating the people who were only interested in me because they could rescue me was I mean I look back and I laugh but it was weird at the time I laughed then but it's weird in some ways having a moment and fainting is like peak femininity to some people in this kind of Victorian you know moment Mm. but in other ways you're left and you're left vulnerable and as a survivor of, of sexual assault, mm. being that vulnerable with my body was a real big thing as well. And it was just all those extra layers. And this is it. This is what could keep coming back to intersectionality. It's all those extra layers. The other thing I think as well is that mm. when I was a young woman, I would come back around yeah. again and I was trying to direct my care. I, I don't need an ambulance or actually, you know, whatever. People wouldn't listen to me. They didn't trust me to be able to direct my own care. Now I'm a bit old and a bit brusque, I can. Yeah, that mm. vulnerability. I mean, I, I came round and a guy had taken mm. my socks and shoes off and he was slapping my feet. <laughs> okay. I think he thought it was going to stimulate the blood pressure. But to my mind, just this random guy was slapping my feet. I was like, what is going on? Like, what is happening? I came round with someone throwing water over me. I just came round thinking mm. I was drowning. Like, I had no idea <laughs> oh, what was right. happening. It was really weird how people felt like they could possess the unconscious body. Mm. They could kind of manipulate my body into where they thought the best thing for it was and trying to reassert body Mm. autonomy after that moment and say, actually, this is my body, this is my care, it's my choice. 
that issue of vulnerability in a different way kind of really registers with with me as well because I can sometimes tell when my symptoms are picking up and what triggers them and what doesn't but ultimately if I need a time off it can sometimes be a sudden thing because whether I like it or not, I still have the very Protestant work ethic in my head that basically goes something like, you try it or you die trying. So I hate letting people down. So when it comes to that, I need some extra time with something or I can't do something, I get a massive sense of guilt out of that because I'm like, I want to be able to do these things. But sometimes when I kind of step back and think, well, Actually, Kirsty, if you were able-bodied, you know, if you did all of these hours, where would you end up? Because even before I got sick, um, I have done the burnout cycles, you know, several times, also than during mm. when I have been disabled. And there is a specific, like you were saying, a way that it affects, I dare say, women more, because there are all these added societal expectations and for me one of my kind of faves is the fact that oh you are a woman you don't have children oh you have all this extra time I bet you must be researching till two in the morning and I'm like ah, no you know some of my able-bodied yeah. friends can do that I can't when my time is up it is up and it does kind of requires a massive amount of self-discipline which I don't think I'm mastering even now still that well of actually being able to say no and be happy, you know, with myself, even when I said no. Mm. Mm. What disability trope or ableist theology would you like to get rid of in the church? <laughs> oh, Sarah, do you want to start with that one? I bet you've got some good ones. <laughs> I would say that disability is a metaphor for you to make a point is probably the one I would get rid of immediately. Whether that is biblical interpretation, so taking characters that have got a full story, they might not have a name. There's only one disabled character in the Gospels particularly that has a name. But they are a person and we so often collapse Mm. them to make them into a metaphor for your point. Mm -hmm. And we are losing those stories and there's some cracking ones. But we also do that in, in life. So often, like the testimony or anecdotes we can often give about people with disabilities is the disabled person then just becomes a metaphor for something else or it becomes an example. Mm-hmm. And we strip away the autonomy of the person behind that. Stop using us as metaphors. That's not what we're here to do. Yeah. For me, and this is interesting because I haven't experienced this at Cliff, but I've experienced this with people outside of Cliff who have then heard that, oh, my my boss is quite happy to make this accommodation and this accommodation and they do this and the other. And often the reaction can be something like, oh, aren't they nice? And I'm like human rights, heard of those sort of thing that um, that the kind of idea that that able-bodied people are somehow being all quite kind and nice and going the extra mile because you or woe to you have this condition. And I'm like, I didn't choose it. I didn't volunteer for it. Can we just treat me as a human being? And then work out a way how we can make this work. Now, Cliff people have done that, but I'm still really surprised how often I hear this kind of, oh, people are being nice to you. I think I would like a lot more awareness of the fact that we, that treating and helping people with disabilities yes in a sense it is being kind and it is being nice but more than that it's treating people as human beings 
I mean, Nancy Island refers to non-disabled people as temporarily able-bodied, <laughs> which I always come back to a lot. And and she was kind of arguing, she's like, even if you don't want to do it because it's the right thing, do it for your own self-interest mm-hmm. because being non-disabled, being able-bodied is at best only ever a temporary That state. is true. And so she was like, if you're not going to do it for me, do it for you. And I've seen that with churches that did not put the ramps mm-hmm. in or what have you until Dorothy Church Warden broke her leg. And the argument was make the accommodations now. Now, not every church can be accessible sure. to every disability because guess what? Accommodations can cross purposes. Mm-hmm. But be honest about what yeah. you are and can't do yeah. it. What I've had before is we're an accessible church. We've got ramps and what have you. It's great, mm-hmm. fantastic. I get there as a visiting preacher they haven't got any accommodations beyond the pew. Oh. <laughs> so they were fully accessible to be, be a receiver. Yeah. But if you wanted to get involved in the church, yeah. the steps were still there. Yeah. And ah. I remember, you know, they were really embarrassed about it. It's fine. But it was this thing of actually, that's really telling about your theology. Yeah. That's really telling mm. about what you think the contributions of disabled people are. Mm. So if you are doing building stuff at the moment in your churches, please think about making all areas of the church accessible. I think it's able-bodied people. It's a mindset. Mm. You have to actively change your mindset because sometimes I'll be out and I will think if I was in a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. I'd be having a nightmare now because I wouldn't be able to get there. I wouldn't be able to do that. And then someone will say, say, oh, should we go here? And I'll think Mm. there's no way I'll be able to get there. Like there's yeah. cobbles on that street or, yeah. you know what I mean? But you have to work hard mm. to think like that. And when you only do the minimum, that's when you get there. Oh, we'll put yeah. a ramp And in. you can see when it hasn't been done in participation. So a phrase that's often used in the disability community is nothing for us without us. Yeah. Do things in consultation with. Don't yeah. do things to us or for us. Mm. Hey, guess what? Talk yeah. to some people. Mm. All right. So we ask all of our guests question at the end which is uh what would be your one line of encouragement for christian women today i think my encouragement would be basically the same that i'm trying to learn myself constantly and i think day by day i'm getting better but it would basically just be to um be kind to yourself that often as christians and as women and especially if we're disabled women we are Already the odds are stacked up like horrendously against us, whether it's work or family or whatever. And I think one of the things that I've kind of come to realize is that when I'm like 92 and uh, I'm kind of thinking back on my life, I am not going to be thinking of, oh, I wish I would have really pushed through to meet that one deadline <laughs> that would have changed my life. It is unlikely that there will be such deadlines. I mean, who knows? But uh, <laughs> but I'm kind of thinking that, you know, a lot of the times when I'm pushing myself, I think I'm doing it needlessly. I think people are actually more understanding that I sometimes give people credit to. And I think sometimes I can be my own worst enemy. Just me learning to be kind to myself. But then kind of all women, whether you have disability or not, just learning to rest in the fact that you are enough. But I'm still learning that. So I'm preaching to myself here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for dropping in and chatting with us today. 
Um, it's been a really fabulous conversation. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> and Kezi, you can find you on Twitter. Although you said you don't tweet very much, but Twitter is available. You can reach out Yay. there. Um, and you can learn about the Abusing God project. And you've got a, a day coming up on hypermasculinity in April. I want to say that is true. Um, I'll be there if anyone wants to join me. You're very welcome. It is a free day, uh, which is amazing. Woo-hoo. So if you're around in Manchester, have a little look at the Abusing God conference um, on hypermasculinity, um, and there's some really good stuff out there. But that's it from us today. So thank you very much, listeners. Well, that was our interview done and over. And now we have Sarah with us. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, hello. Um, What were your initial thoughts on the interview? Oh, straight in there, Vicky. Gosh, no. (laughs) No, we're not messing about. Uh, I... What I loved about the interview was the fact that we got to hear two different perspectives from both Sarah and from Kirsty, who've got different experiences of disability. And I felt like that was incredibly helpful because whilst there was some overlap and there was some commonality between the two of them, there was also a lot of different experience as to kind of how disability developed for them um, and how their experience of God has changed and their understanding of God has changed and how it affects them as women. So, yeah, I think I found it really helpful to have those two perspectives, but to also hear where they they agreed and they'd had common experiences. What about you, Vicky? It was really good to be in it and to get me thinking about things that I wouldn't normally think about. And I liked seeing the two perspectives from different ages. So Sarah had more time to <laughs> grow up with it and take it in your stride a little bit, if that can even be done, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. Whereas Kersey, you know, it was straight yeah. on. Got to like try and deal with it all it, as well as all, everything else that goes on when you're an adult. Whereas when you're a kid, you have certain things that you don't have to deal with, right? Like bills yeah. and work, you know. I know you're going to school and that's a big thing. I'm not saying it's not. But <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like... It's to- different life stages. It must be totally different dealing with it. I think you like when when it comes on as an adult, you've forged your identity, mm. and you've probably never really thought about how undependable your body can be. Sometimes, like, whereas when it happens when you're a teenager, like, you haven't really got a sense of who you are yet, mm-hmm. and that can be helpful in that it's then part mm. of your story. It can be profoundly unhelpful because you're so insecure anyways. And this is it, like the kind of teenage angst of like, who am I? And I'm trying to be independent for the first time. And apparently I'm the girl who faints. And that is what you're known at school. Of course, that's what you're known as at school, you know. Um, And I remember having the experience of being on my sofa, unable to make myself a cup of tea. And I'm like, I'm meant to be 16 and like independent and like drinking in the fields somewhere. And I can't even make myself a cup of tea. I think what I found helpful from Kirstie's perspective is when she talked about that for her, it wasn't always or wasn't always necessarily the massive question of why do people suffer? But it was that like smaller question, I guess, or of why does it have to hurt so much? Why does why does this issue have to cause me so much pain? Yeah, again, just a really helpful perspective because I, as an able-bodied person, I could assume that of a disabled person that, well, they must just really think, how could God even exist? And so actually hearing the stories about how the your perspectives on God has changed 
Yeah, I mean, from my experience, me and God were always tight throughout all of it. It obviously had moments of being like, this seems a bit harsh. But generally, mm. it was always fine. Where I was got frustrated was how the church reacted to it, like different church spaces. And that doesn't make yeah. sense to me when we're meant to be a church of love. And so that, for me, was often the struggle. It was like, okay, God, we're okay. Why are your followers so annoying <laughs> you know why what what has gone on can you speak to your people please i feel like i get to that place very often <laughs> <laughs> over a wide range of issues <laughs> i was like horrified by what you said about churches that have made or made changes to their you know the area where the general plebs sit and hadn't made changes to you know the, the stage area or I'm like my Anglican language is not very good so I'm not sure what that area is called um but I then thought actually I can't think of any church spaces that I've been in in all of my years of being a Christian that had any accessibility to the stage it's when you know you yeah. know right <laughs> you're not seeing it it's like i've offered you guys the blue pill or the red yeah. pill um <laughs> and there's no going back and it's interesting with accessibility in churches and i can only speak about my specific disabilities i can't really speak to a whole wide range of others but where i come back to is just be honest about where you are so if I've managed to make it into your building through probably up a hill, we like to build a lot of churches on heights. If I've made it through the big wooden doors and the steps and the uneven paving, if I made it there and I get into your building and then it's even worse when I'm inside, I just would have preferred to know that before I started my journey, yeah. right? Just be honest. It's okay to say we're, we're on a journey of trying to figure it out. If you've got a really loud, busy church, that's fantastic. Just say that online. Put that out somewhere that says, we've got a really loud and busy church. If you find sensory overload or what have you, then you can know in advance that's where you're going and it might not be for you. Similarly, if you have lots of ticks or you really struggle with silence for all kinds of reasons and you're going to find a silent service really hard, it'd be really helpful if they put on the website, this is a service that uses lots of silence. Yeah. Or... We are only partially equipped with a loop system, but it allows disabled folk to make informed choices because otherwise it's like it can take you ages. And especially if you're in a new area and you're trying to find something. So we're not only considering, are these people secretly complementarian <laughs> or, you know, uh, is it going to be the sort of thing that when you go in, they lock the door and you're already a rotor? We're also trying to battle, like, am I going to hear? Am I going to be able to have to yeah. sit? Am I going to all those sort of things. And it just makes our lives so much easier if you're just honest about where you're at online. No one's going to be angry about that because it just means we can make an informed choice. Yeah. Obviously, if you put, we are not accessible, that's because we believe the demon of disability is possessing you. We're probably going to be mad. But as long as you don't, it's going to be an issue. And I, oh, do you know, I just think so much of that is about inclusivity and diversity within leadership teams as well though because what mm. those websites have been made up by a group of able-bodied people so nobody's even beginning to consider in the main that's a wide sweeping statement but also I think it's probably a fairly informed one based on what we've just talked about about you know whether they <laughs> you know the spaces where people stand at the front are, are accessible 
and so that nobody is saying hang on a second is that information available and I love the campaign the honest church campaign about you know um, inclusivity and stuff and I think that should go a step further because we should be able to see is this church accessible what's this church service like what's your theology I looked at a church website local to us a few months ago and I wanted to throw my laptop across the room because it was so like on trend and like you know trendy videos and like we gather at the table and I'm like what does that even mean like what does that I want to know what your church is like and what your values are it lit, it just drove me crazy and I imagine you know as a person with a disability <laughs> this kind of stuff is the same for you one of the other things that I speak about a little bit is and I brought it up a little bit is how you use disabled passages so how you use stories about disabled people is really important so there's lots of other things around our theology so it's not just changing Definitely. the buildings you can find people who have changed the buildings but they haven't changed yeah. their hearts they still see mm. disabled folk as a lesser contributor we've for all sorts of reasons talked about physical accommodations and that's a really good thing to talk about but it does also require a change in in your heart and in your theology and in the way you consider the contribution of disabled folks definitely i don't think i've ever heard a sermon on like healing that had a section in it like not everybody's healed like there's no it's either jesus is the healer that's the end of it if you're not healed, then that's kind of your fault. I have heard sermons with stuff in yeah. about not everybody's healed. But what I was thinking is I've never heard anyone speak on the respect that needs to be given to someone. So I'm thinking about the instant that you talked about, Sarah, at a well-known Christian festival. And I think, gosh, like when I, uh, back in the day, when I was, you know, living my best charismatic Christian life, I wouldn't have thought twice about asking someone in a wheelchair, you know, if I could pray for them. And if they said no, I would have thought, why? You would have been offended, right? I'd have been offended. Yeah, because I believed that God could heal them. You know, and that was so much about me and about my dodgy theology. And like, I just like literally physically and my whole stomach goes cringes at hearing those stories, partly because I can see myself reflected in them and I don't come out well. Um, and you know secondly because I think yeah like again it's about church being a safe place isn't it and if you're going to go into a church and basically be pounced on well that's not okay <laughs> yeah it is it's um you know if any of you are preparing sermons on any of these passages the so-called disability passages go and find commentaries um, written from disabled folks I'll leave you I'll leave you with one which is there's one disabled character in in the Gospels called Blind Bartimaeus. And now Blind Bartimaeus gets his sight recovered in in two kind of goes. I will be prepared to put good money that a lot of us have heard a sermon that goes, Bartimaeus saw in part and then he saw completely, just like the disciples realised who Jesus was in part and then saw who he was completely. Bartimaeus is just a metaphor for what's going on with Jesus. I would be, again, prepared to put your money on that you haven't heard a sermon on Bartimaeus as a mm. person, as a character with his own story and own agency. He yeah, just becomes so a metaphor for, for Christ. Mm. Yeah. And we miss those stories. As a society, we're not. Gr- I don't think we're great with disabled people, would you say? I think there's a... Mm-hmm. We make people awkward. Mm. We make people consider the temporary nature of good health 
it makes people feel uncomfortable. It makes people feel scared. It makes them face their own mortality or their own. Instead of facing up to those complicated feelings, it's like, ah, oh, let's just get the disabled person out of eye shot. Mm. Because they make me feel awkward. Yeah. And I don't know what to do with them. And then it all becomes about me as the able-bodied person. And it's something we see with a whole range of different minority issues as well, is this kind of just, you know, mm-hmm. ironically get them out of sight. You know, that kind of view. But um, yeah, we're, we're here. We're, we're, we're very likely not to be going anywhere um, unless we get raptured before all of you, which, you know, might happen. Um, so we, we have to think about how we're going to just do better as a, as a church. Oh, well, Sarah, I just want to thank you so much for your honesty and um, yeah, what you shared in this episode. And it was so good to hear the conversation between both you and Kirsty. And uh, yeah, thank you listeners for tuning in once again. Um, It's been lovely to have you with us and we look forward to meeting again on our next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovering God podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe and tell others who you think will be interested. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Recovering God or contact us by email at recoveringgodpodcast at gmail.com.